here. We're starting a new thing today, new series. Uh, all old subjects, they're about 2,000 years old at least, but it's a new, uh, new thread for us. There's also that 20, uh, I'm sorry, the 40 days of uh, earnest prayer that you're seeing in your handouts and uh, a link in the e-blast. And let me explain what that is. The second discipline we're going to look at is, is prayer. And we're going to take a few weeks looking at that because it's quite an involved study. And Albert could do it for the next 10 years, but I'm not Albert. So I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. And if you don't know what, uh, nobody knows what Reader's Digest is anymore. Um, <clears throat> Cliff Notes, do they still have those? All right, fair enough, the synopsis. I'm looking forward to it, but what I wanted you to see were the words used in Scripture by the people living with God, struggling with God. How did they talk to God? None of the, if you're looking at this going, I don't have time for this, yes, you do. None of those readings takes more than five minutes, especially if you skip the names that you can't pronounce anyway. And just look at the words. God will change you. And there's another prayer program coming along you're going to hear about next week that's going to start in the middle of this 40 days and then carry you beyond the 40 days. Looking forward to seeing what God does with this. Fact is, as we've just proven with our holiday, we're not big into self-denial. We're, and notice the we, it's a collective pronoun here. We have a hard time saying no to ourselves. I've told the story before, so I'll be very quick. We'd just come to America, and they wanted me to speak to a, a youth rally in Canton, Ohio. So I went up there right beside the, uh, the Hall of Fame, talked to the kids, and then there was a, a break put into the program, which was an odd thing for me, the way they did it, but nothing wrong with it, they, where they just released the kids to go into the mall next door or go to the Hall of Fame or something for a couple of hours. And I said, I want to give you an assignment. I want you to go to the mall. They got very excited. That was a big, malls were big things back then. I said, I want you to find something that you like. Find something you could, that you need. Find something that is legitimate for you to purchase and that you have the funds for. And I want you to pick it up and I want you to look at it. And then I want you to say, no, I have enough. And I want you to put it back. The kids came with great excitement, and they kept telling me stories about what they'd found and how they'd put it back and how that made them feel. This next bit's a bit odd. A week or two later, I got uh, two phone calls from two different parents upset at me because they were trying to take their kid to back to school shopping, and their kid was saying, no, we've got enough, and Patrick Mead taught us that, and, and they were going, ah, and I said, you know something? So you have a kid that feels that they have enough and don't need to keep up with everybody and you're tired of them. I have some parents that would love them. If you're done with them, we can just bring, and that didn't go over well either. <clears throat> we don't talk about fasting very often and I think that's why this is a problem for us. We misunderstand what Jesus said to the Pharisees about fasting. In fact, if I ask most people what they, what they know about fasting in a modern church, they'll tell me two things. One, it isn't commanded. Two, if you do it, you can't talk about it. Both of those are wrong. Jesus wasn't talking about 
And when he turned to the Pharisees and says, you fast to be seen of men that we're not allowed to fast or tell people about it. He says, you're not allowed to fast for the motive of being seen as holy. That's a big difference. And what about the command? It's more of an assumption because Jesus doesn't say you'd better fast. He says, when you fast. He assumes this is going to continue to be a part of his people's world. There's a beautiful word. I ended with it last week. It's a beautiful word. No. And it's hard to learn because the world is saying, don't learn that word. Buy this car this weekend and we'll give you a hot dog and the kids a balloon and we'll give you this percent, this APR, if you want to buy it for the next eight years. And, um, and if you don't come, the sale ends Monday. It's over. No new car for you, ever. You're done. They, they put that into you, and, we're, and they teach us. In fact, as I brought up last week, the, the Christmas commercials have now gone nuclear. It used to be just the, the Mercedes people that were saying, put a bow on it for the... And then it was Lexus. This, this year it was even Hyundai. And then one guy buys two GMC vehicles, each of them costing well over $65,000, obviously without talking to his wife because she picked the wrong one. And I'm going, they need grace marriage. <clears throat> they also need um, to go talk to Frank Hutton and those uh, here that talk about finances. Fasting is mentioned throughout the Bible because no is a beautiful word. When Hannah was taunted by other women because she had no children, she went before the Lord in 1 Samuel 1 with prayer and fasting. When Nehemiah heard about the fallen, broken-down walls around Jerusalem, he fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And in chapter 9, when he confronts Israel with their sins, he has the whole nation fast and pray. When Daniel feared that his people would remain forever in captivity and never be, remain, and never be returned to their homeland, he fasts and prays. Joel, that little book of Joel, has such treasures in it. But he calls the nation to turn again to God with fasting and prayer. In the book of Jonah, the people of Nineveh, the bad guys, are the, are the good guys in Jonah. It's, it's a really weird book, and I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, it's not about a whale. Move on. It's, it's, it's exciting. Whenever the people of Nineveh fast and pray, God changes his mind and tells Noah, I'm not going to destroy him. <laughs> I, I like the way Jonah says, you know, I knew it. You're always so nice. <clears throat> not understanding that he was all, that's the only reason Noah was still not a little pile of fried ashes. It's because God is so nice. When Saul of Tarsus meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he repents and fasts and prays for three days. When the early church appointed elders or shepherds, they fasted and prayed. Whenever those elders sent out missionaries, they fasted and prayed. We could go on, but we have a time limit. So Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9 then verse 18. When I went up on the mountain, this is Moses, to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you. I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. 
because of all the sin you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and so arousing his anger. Now here's where I really want to leap into something because especially if we have young people over here that are doing the math, they're thinking you can't go without water for 40 days. That's why we want to talk about fasting. That's why. Esther, and Esther, uh, she calls Mordecai and tells him, doesn't call him, calls on Mordecai to, um, to say, right, you need to get the entire nation praying and fasting before I go back to talk to the king. These are called absolute fast. What does it mean? It means daylight hours. You don't eat or drink. That's what our, our neighbors that are Muslims do during Ramadan, the entire month. They don't even put gum in their mouth, not from sunrise to sunset. This last year and this coming year, because the way calendars work, was particularly brutal for them. It's on a lunar calendar, so Ramadan moves through the year. And right now it's a cycle where it's hitting in the middle of summer in Nashville. Do you remember last summer? Most days were what, 218 degrees? That is brutal. And yet I talked, uh, we were invited to their breaking of their fast, the iftar meal. And a few, uh, several of us went, um, I think, what, three of us went, wasn't it, uh, on that uh, to there. And met with them, and they talked to us about how hard it was while they were building homes for Habitat for Humanity, not able to take a sip of water. Now, they, by the time, anyway, we're with them for the meal. They always have somebody out there to figure out when the sun set. And they got the sunset, and they're coming back in saying, now we're going to break for prayer so we can eat. And you saw excited people because it had been a long, hard day. A fast, in that sense, means that the day is given to God. Jesus talks about that when he says, the night's coming when no man can work. Work when it's day. You have these daylight hours to get done what you need to get done. Give it to God. Most fast in a religious world went from dawn to sunset. Some did go 24, but not going without water. Some fast allowed you to drink, but you didn't eat at all. Some fast were eliminations of certain foods. For example, I used to have quite the temper, and, and stupid for somebody my size to have that kind of temper. Because you stand up and go, all right, you, I'm having you. And next thing you know, you're in a ward with tubes in you because you're not as big enough to have that kind of attitude. Anyway, I was also hard on people religiously. I was hard. I was a judgmental individual. I still fight that, by the way, but I've gotten better. I didn't like vegetables. I only liked to eat meat. But I knew I had to get a handle on what I was. I fasted for 10 years, no meat, because I needed to redo my brain. I'm not opposed to eating animals. I think God intended for you to eat animals because the kind of teeth he built in and because he made them tasty. But <clears throat> I knew I needed a daily reminder that I was not a predator on God's sons and daughters. After a while, my wife says two things. I don't want to make, too, the kids are gone, don't want to make two meals anymore, and I think you're all right now. So um, I, I eat meat now, and, and I'll stop at Martin's Barbecue and frighten the cattle. I, I'm, I'm good with that. But that was a fast. Sometimes you don't, you don't have to go 10 years. 
Some will go without sugar for a week. I'd rather go without meat for 10 years. Some will go without coffee. Most of you should not try this fast. You are far more pleasant and Christian with coffee. <clears throat> Take the coffee and thank Jesus. Some will only do uncooked meals or uncooked food. You get the point. Fasting is the purposeful saying no to something you like. We're in a, in a couple of months. Easter's going to be a bit earlier this year. And so, again, different calendar. Uh, people are going to be talking about giving up things for Lent. Now, when I was a little boy, I didn't really get this because we, we didn't know anything about the Catholics except that they weren't going to make it. And uh, we don't believe that now, uh, if you're Catholic. Anyway, um, they, um, sorry, there were a couple lines that came into my head that were a little inappropriate. Let me move on. Um, no, I will not share these with you later. Um, we, but they, they would come to school with little smudges on their, on their forehead. And I was fascinated. What's that for? You know, I, I didn't know. I'd been around Hindus in my life, but their dot was a lot crisper. And so I didn't know what this was. And they'd tell me, and they'd tell me what they were giving up. And I remember one guy said, I'm giving up watermelon. You, you can't get watermelon during that, at that time. Uh, and he was going, yeah, it's easier. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is to give up something hard, difficult. By the way, that allows those of you that are older, diabetic, perhaps on special medications, to fast because you can eliminate some things and still eat and take your medicine. And if you're wondering, the Muslims have all of those um, provisions as well. If you're pregnant, they don't want you fasting. If you're young, they don't want you fasting. They, they take the same ones because they take it from that same era those rules of fasting make accommodation for those that need to eat something. In 1 Samuel 7, there's a national fast. Ezra calls for a national fast. And as we said, Nehemiah, Jonah, I'm not going to say Jonah called on it so much, but he was involved. Joel and others called for a national fast. But most fasts are individual fasts. They're, they're very common in Scripture. David, Ahab, Daniel, Anna, we could go on. But why? Why should you do this? I've often seen fasting misused. Some believe that fasting makes God more likely to do what they want him to do. Hang on. When we lived in Scotland, uh, people 40 miles across the water in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Well, Northern Ireland is 40 miles. It's a bit further to Belfast. Anyway, the point is, some um, of the, like Bobby Riggs and the, and the um, NRA, were doing hunger fast to death to, uh, to shame and force the British government's hands. God's not the British government. And your fasting is not going to force God to do anything he doesn't want to do. That's not why we fast. I've seen others who believe that fasting was a way to punish themselves. God didn't ask you to do that. Others believe that fasting was a way to prove to God that they were sorry for their sins. Okay, just don't let that get out of hand. Others believe that if they fasted, God would know that they were really on his side. You know, he's God. So he's probably pretty good 
at figuring out if you're on his side. That's not what fasting's for. In fact, God's not impressed by fasting in and of itself. Look at Zechariah chapter 7. Do we have that? Yes, lovely. Ask all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Ooh, yeah, I had a long time and God saying, you know something, I'm not impressed. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, when, not if, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. They don't cut themselves. What it meant was they'd, that, that kind of look of, oh, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm weak because I'm holy. They show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They want people to think they're holy. They got that. They're not getting anything from God. When you fast, put oil on your head. That's, that's not a punishment. That means comb your hair. All right? Get all tarted up there. Look nice. Um, when you, you don't say tarted up. Sorry. Um, when you fast, now you do, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He also talked about a Pharisee. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, I, I sometimes want to sit back and look at that sentence. Confident of their own righteousness. That'd be a nice place to be, wouldn't it? I'm down here with Albert who has, um, you know, back in the days, guys, uh, you kids won't get this. We had long distance calls. Even back then, God was a local call to Albert, you know, because he prays all the time. So I'm standing beside him, and up here Mark and the team are doing all to Jesus, I surrender. And Albert leans over to me and he goes, this is a difficult song for me to sing. And I lean back and I said, Albert, I'm lying through my teeth. I don't know about you, but all to Jesus, I, really? That's impressive. I'm not that confident in my own righteousness. So I always put in my head, I will one day when I get better, surrender all. I surrender some, whatever. It's hard. We sing better than we live. Look down on everyone else. He looked down on everyone else. I'm sorry, but I, that was me for the longest time. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Boo, they didn't like the tax collectors. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This guy. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and, and Albert will back me up on this. There's a definite article in that, in that verse in most manuscripts. It's not uh, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. It, like Paul when he said he was the chief of sinners. Wow, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God's 
not going to be manipulated by our fast. The power in fasting, well, there are a couple powers. One is focus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Focus. Think of how much time we put into planning meals, thinking about meals. <coughs> Some of you are already ahead of me there. Um, you know, where are we going to eat? And then you got to buy the food, and then you have to prepare the food. Then you have to um, yeah, you eat the food. Then you have to clean up from the food. You have to put the leftovers in the fridge so that they can be thrown away at a later date. Because that's what we do. We have too much food. Um, I told my mom she came up to spend Christmas with us. And she, you know, she's a sweet lady there. And uh, the food was out. And my mom says, we're going to pray. And I said, I will. But to be honest, I've already thanked God for everything here a couple of times. We're just trying to get rid of it. And, and then she hit me, and I prayed. She's, she's not afraid to do that. We, we focus too much on food. And, and I want to step to the side here, because food has never been something that interesting to me. I eat because it's there or because I'm supposed to. I'm, and I know it's really weird, and people have a hard time believing it, but I've never been hungry for a particular kind of food. It's just, you know, all right, we're going there, fair enough. Now, that's very frustrating to my wife, and she'll say, Where, what, kind, what would you like for dinner? Don't care. And I really don't. Steak or peanut butter, it doesn't matter to me. But we have people, and I think it's in their wiring, I think they're born that way, and God gave it to them, that are foodies. And they know every restaurant and what's good and what's bad. And they like to talk about it, and they like to go there. Should we judge them? No. Grace. Grace. You know, they, they, they are our scouts, our pioneers. They have been to that restaurant before us. They can report back. I don't want you to ever think that we have the right to judge another person. No, we judge ourselves. We fast about ourselves. So some of my friends are real foodies. They don't like it when I go with them, but they also know I don't judge them. Focus. We focus on God. We focus on his will. We focus on prayer and our need to communicate with them. Or we learn how to say that beautiful word, no. Because fasting is when you look at something you're allowed to have. You know, it's not like I'm fasting from meth. I'm not allowed to have that. I'm fasting from, oh, for example, cake. Cake comes from God. I'm pretty sure one of these days we will find a, a copy of Genesis that said on the seventh day, he thought, I forgot the cake. And he made cake. And everyone rejoiced, even the whales in the sea. But I, I'm, I'm looking for that one. I am. I love cake. If I look at cake, am I allowed to have cake? I'm allowed to have cake. And it's there. It's cheap in America, really. You just buy a couple boxes and an old tub of frosting, and boom, there it is. It, it actually doesn't go boom, but it's there, and it's wonderful. I can look at it and say, I have the right to have it, but no. Well, let's go a little further, because fasting goes not only what you want, but what is actually beneficial for you. I think of my brother, Steve Diggs. He's an elder at the Antioch Church of Christ, but Steve Diggs has his own program, which is similar to Dave Ramsey's, but it's different. And it's called No Debt, No Sweat. And I love Steve. 
He and I have known each other. I don't remember how long that's been. That's got to be 15 years or so. And when I see Steve, he's still wearing the same shirt. It wasn't in style 15 years ago. He's got three or four of them. And I walked up to Steve years ago and I said, do you need a shirt? He says, no, this one hasn't worn out. It's made out of stuff that never wears out. It's not natural. But it's his way of saying no to something he has the perfect right to have. I'm not saying you need to do that. That's where he drew his lines, saying, if I don't need it, I'm not going to buy it. And I'm going to be very careful with that word need, teaching the word no. We're going to go to one of my favorite passages now, and that's in Isaiah 58. Look at the first two verses. Day after day, they seek me out. God's getting a little sarcastic maybe here. Uh, I don't think sardonic would be right. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. I'm sorry, but that one hits me pretty hard. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed yet on the day of your fasting? You do as you please and exploit all your workers. Oh, my goodness. Fasting is also to change our behavior so that we consume less and give more. The Bible says we work with our hands to give to those who do not have. That's why. We don't work with our hands so that we will have more. We work so that we can care for others. And that's shocking. Fasting cannot be about us. Look at the next two verses. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fist. You cannot fast as you do today and expect that your voice, your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in a sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Anybody else a little bit uncomfortable at this stage? We ought to be. God's saying, I'm not impressed until it changes the way you treat others, until it changes the way you look upon stuff, until it changes the way you go about your life, not just on fasting days, but every day. If you're wondering, why did it end in quarreling? What he means is you go right back to being who you were. You don't learn to change. Years and years ago, back in London, there's a group called the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, and they've since merged with other groups. They did a how do we get people to stop smoking um, series of experiments. The one that worked the best was to teach them how to fast. Because when they fasted from certain foods, they learned they had the ability to say no. That's a great word. <clears throat> Look at six, verses 6 to 11. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? Look at this, guys. This could have been a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. It could have been a speech 
from somebody who, uh, during the, the slavery years to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood like a homeless guy on the street. Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will call for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself, spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Please take the time to read Isaiah 58. Please. For our God who changes not, this is what matters to him. The word no would also take us away from a sin that we don't talk about, and that's the sin of gluttony. We talk about other sins that are only mentioned once or twice in Scripture, Gluttony is mentioned over a hundred times. It is a big word, and it doesn't just mean overeating. And by the way, being heavy doesn't mean you're overeating. There are a lot of factors there. We're not fat shaming anybody here. Don't even, don't even start that. There are way too many factors there, and we're finding more all the time. But we're talking about gluttony, and it's the only sin we think is cute. Because after Christmas, oh, oh, I ate so much, that's going to burst. We don't do that with other sins. I stole so much, I ran out of room. <coughs> Lied so much, I don't even remember who I am now. We don't, we, don't, we don't think the other ones are cute. I'm not going to go adultery thing here. Does he, I'm just, you get the point. But I ate, I ate, and ate. Gluttony is basically the same thing as drunkenness in Scripture. It's also the same thing as what we would call today um, like an addict to your work. You are filling too much. You're filling yourself too much with the wrong thing. God created food for it to be enjoyed. He makes that very obvious. He even speaks of wine as something to be enjoyed. He makes that very plain. But he does not ever approve of overstuffing and overdrinking or overstuffing our closets and our homes and our pantries. In fact, the prophet says, rust will be used as a witness against us. You got so much stuff, you can't even use it and keep it rust-free. Another would say, you have sold the poor for a pair of shoes. Wow. We need to learn to say no. Lent is the most common time among Christians to fast, but it would be tragic to only fast then. Find what keeps your eyes from Jesus. You know what I'm hearing more and more around Lent? They're giving up Facebook. They're giving up Instagram. They're giving up Snapchat. They're giving up their phone for Lent. 
that's a month. Or they're giving up internet, or they're giving up, I don't know what it could be, your hobby. I've had people say, I'm giving up anger for Lent. Best of luck. But that's very laudable, is it not? I had one lady even say she was giving up worry for Lent, but I could tell from her face she was worried if she could do it. <coughs> but, you know, more power to her. God bless her for wanting to do that. Find what is keeping your eyes off of Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in two weeks. Walk away from it physically and mentally that day. Dedicate that time and space to God, not just in prayer. And I hate to use the word just in prayer in the same sentence. But after reading Isaiah 58, you also know he intends for you to do good during the period when you were focusing on you to do good for others. We had some people in the first church we attended when we came back to America, Lancaster, Ohio. We had people that fasted uh, every Monday. Now, they, it was a different fast. They would mix it up. But one of the things a couple of the couples did there was they went ahead and made a meal. They just took it to somebody else. <coughs> Sorry. I've got what you've got. Everybody's got it. Because we go to church, we hug each other. Anyway, um, I thought that was pretty classy that they still did the food, but they took it and shared it instead. Have you ever noticed sometimes that your shoulders are up near your ears? You didn't even know you were tense. You look over and go, where'd that come from? So you talk to yourself for a bit, and you work, and you get it. Going to relax, going to get down. A few minutes later, they're right there. Dr. Herbert Benson, years ago, wrote, uh, wrote an amazing little book called The Relaxation Response, when he talked about how to find those triggers and know before they get up there that you're tense. I think about that sometimes because it takes training to get your eyes off stuff and onto Jesus. Fasting is the training field. If you fast for a few weeks, not in a row, if you fast and you've tried some things and it's not really helping you, keep going until you learn. It's a learned behavior. Would you stand, please? I would never suggest to any of you that I know what is keeping your eyes off Jesus. I might even think I know, but I've been wrong so many times, I'm not going to venture the guess. But you do. What is keeping your eyes off Jesus? What would keep you from doing these 40 days of prayer? What would block you? What blocks you from going to Bible classes? By the way, I appreciate that Mark was trying to drive everybody out to the room, but I have one in here if you want to hang around. So, not that. It's pretty spectacular. Um, it's on humility, and I nail it. No, it's actually... <laughs> It's actually on the book of Matthew. We're going right back to Jesus stories. And so Matthew, Jesus the king. Regardless, what is keeping you from study? What is keeping you from doing good? That's what you're going to have to lay aside during a fast. It takes practice. It takes patience. 
But eventually, we can take that which held our attention and hand it to God and walk with God. For God isn't interested in you doing spectacular things. He's interested in you being there. God bless us all as we enter this period of learning the disciplines of the Christian life.